the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I'm glad to be with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline as well. This is July 13th, 2020. And we are smack dab in the middle of our summer weather. Um, just a great, uh, great time weather-wise here in the Bay Area. Um, and uh, I hope across the nation as well. But um, you do know that we are being pressed down once again by our governor. It seems like uh, COVID cases are increasing and therefore our liberties are being infringed upon once again. And... Um, Yeah, we've got to deal with it, don't we? We've simply got to deal with the new normal that's taking place in terms of uh, increased uh, COVID cases in California. And so we have to kind of figure out what we're going to do. Uh, And particularly those of us who are who have enjoyed the last several weeks. I don't know how long it's been, maybe about a month now, a little bit more. Yeah, two almost two months, uh, five weeks, I believe, of uh, uh, freedom to worship, freedom to freedom to gather together with um, with the people of God wherever we assemble. We at Grace and Hayward have been coming together for about five weeks now. Great weather, so you know we've been able to hold some really dynamic services. Uh, notwithstanding, you know, not being able to have the whole house there, but we we've been averaging almost two hundred and fifty people. Uh, two services. We've been able to kind of have this model where we have 100 people inside and maybe 100 people on the outside. And so we were able to pull off a couple of services and get the folks who wanted to come out. Um, an opportunity for uh, fellowship, physical, present fellowship. And, and, and by, you know, by God's grace in relationship to all the 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 you know mandates and measures that we were uh, expected to engage uh, and employ for for safe gathering we were able to do that it was a great experiment and i'm very thankful very very thankful that uh, for the most part we were able to do it and execute it carefully we had uh, you know electronic thermometers and we had gloves and masks and we had uh, designated places for gathering and so i saw kids and young adults and and singles and even some of our older people were encouraged to come out haven't been out in a long time and they were able to gather with us uh, in a very prudent way and we worshiped God. Very powerful. Some of that you guys will hear on our Monday through Friday uh, Bible study or uh, noontime worship, noontime study uh, in, in the weeks to come. We're still in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we've got uh, all the rest of this year to work it through. 
In any event, the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. If you have any question whatsoever that uh, you want to kind of engage or a topic that is consistent with the challenges that we are yet facing in the Bay Area with the COVID or with this movement that has tried to take an advantage of this COVID period to uh, further destabilize people's lives and bring them into bondage to a uh, what I consider an unjust. Uh, social uh, injustice system of, uh, if you will, mandating reparations of all sorts and restructuring our nation and and changing our policies and and just implementing, uh, uh, I, I don't even want to call it a new world order because it's so old. People who have come out of communist countries, out of wacko socialist countries can see this bizarre postmodern irrationality trying to impose itself on every part of our culture, every part of our uh, life, every part of our institutional, uh, even the word culture is a problem because the word culture has as its, at its root the word cult. And this whole movement is so obviously cultic and religious in its framework. This is why it has such maddening and irrational elements to it. Um, uh, They don't engage. They just scream. Uh, That's what they were taught in college. If you don't know it, uh, in the diversity, uh, inclusion, and equities uh, element of the movement, uh, people were taught to simply scream and shout if you don't agree with them. Uh, don't they don't want to engage you in a dialogue around the issues, the substantial facts around their assertions and assumptions about what's going on. This notion that our country is systemically riddled with racism, it requires a a person who has the skill to bring forth all the necessary uh, data that would substantiate that assumption. If you really want people to buy into it and not just be as you were, as it were, brainwashed and, and cudgeled and threatened into believing that that position, then you got to bring the data. Then you got to also be ready for a debate around the data. Then you and I have to engage in the plausibility of being able to know factually that we are dealing with levels of systemic racism that require a wholesale transformation of our country, as is being doing, being done, and has been done for decades now in our school systems and in our entertainment industry and in our business industry. Just ask LeBron James. He thought it was cool to virtue signal. Uh, he was one of the leading proponents of uh, being part of Black Lives Matter. And then all of a sudden, when the whole uh, system started caving into the virtue signaling of agreeing with it, uh, the demands are, you know, change the names on, your, on the back of your jerseys. And start using, you know, Black Lives Matter terms or social justice terms, terms that will continue to wake the people up. Now, whenever you find yourself in a movement and you really haven't thought through what that movement is, you really didn't do the research. You really didn't examine the the contents of that movement, the, the, the goals of that movement, the mission statement of that movement. You were stupid in the first place, but we get that. We can be that way when we are not grounded in objective truth so as to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. I get that. That'll happen. 
And uh, quite frankly, this movement has been operating since the civil rights movement for decades now, threatening people if you don't cajole and bow down and yield to their mandates. This is happening privately behind closed doors and now is moving its way up out of the colleges because that's where it really had its full-fledged experimental development in the colleges. Um Yale and Harvard and the Greenville State uh, Grievance Studies I told you guys about. Watch that and you learn how young people can be so uh, manipulated, so deceived and so emotionally destable and uh, made to destabilize and made to just be an emotional fit uh, and then employ what is called a Marxist method of, of top down, bottom up. And Obama knew this. Uh, Vance Jones knew, knows this. All of the people on the left going all the way back to the weather underground with, with Angela Davis and all of them know the strategy of a top down, bottom up method. This is uh, just ancient Marxism to the hilt. But guess what? As I suspected, and it took a while, people are pushing back. People are now waking up to the woke joke and beginning to recognize this is not what they thought it was. This is not the idea of civil rights or social justice or, um, uh, if you will, uh, anti uh, racist activism for the purpose of equality and for the purpose of fairness and for the purpose of properly representing, uh, if you will, uh, marginalized and disenfranchised people. This is all about a concentration camp style of re-education mandates that uh, that we all walk in a lockstep formation and subjugation to a whole system of absolute foolish demands that make absolutely no sense. And so I'm kind of excited about what's happening because what I know is if you exercise your amendment rights, your first amendment right, freedom of speech, and mandate that my opinion has as much merit as your opinion, and if you want to debate it, we can, then our nation will survive this delusional postmodern reconstructionist agenda. It will survive it. It will actually overcome it because we actually have more people who are walking in reality than those who are walking in the absolute delusion of this agenda. Yes, you have a lot of people in your uh, colleges, as I stated, who are change agents for this system. There's no doubt about it. The colleges, the professors who are bought into this socialist Marxist agenda have, uh, if you were, been the incubator for the movement for the last 30 years. And a lot of these young, empty headed uh, uh, irrational young people who see race and sexism and genderism and everything are now occupying jobs. And But mostly, you know what's going on here, if you don't know it. What's going on here is your kind of gulag, your kind of Stalin, your kind of Hitler-esque, your, even your McCarthyan ty- uh, type of, uh, of people who are watching and seeing that if you don't agree with them, that they're going to turn you in. And that is called the uh, council culture, where you can be a very prominent person in a position of power. And if you're heard saying something, even remotely, that sounds like you're not in lockstep with the uh, Gestapo of social justice, you can lose your job or you can be demoted and at least you'll be defamed. 
this is happening massively in Europe. I had no idea how hard the European people were having it with this crazy uh, movement, uh, including with the uh, the hypocritical, uh, 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 just self uh, inconsistent, contradictory system of the Black Lives Matter. This stuff is really pushing people now to stand up and speak back and speak out and speak against it. And uh, that's a new day, ladies and gentlemen. That's a new day. And you're going to see that happen more and more here in America. I heard a couple of, uh, uh, again, last week, a couple of athletes standing up, African-American brothers who realize that this is a train ride that they don't want to be on. And they're speaking out and they're you're hearing it again in law enforcement brothers. I mean, uh, just some eloquent African-American brothers rising up and talking about the lie of uh, systemic racism in the police department. So, you know, what happens when an adversary hits you the first time with a good punch, it causes you to kind of stumble back and, and go, whoa, and you might lose your equilibrium for a moment. And you might have to put your hands up and guard yourself until you really can see the pattern of his jabs. And now you can parry and now you can begin to respond. And that's what people are doing, because what's happening in our country is an absolute travesty of, of reason of uh, of of logic of coherent thinking of civil uh engagement of civil rights in the real sense in which Martin Luther King spoke about it and uh you know short of the biblical expression of this being a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might perish who had no love for the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness, except, uh, you know, we have to go down that path. And I'm I was just talking to my son about it. I'm, I'm hoping that we are not at that level and threshold of absolute darkness in America, but we are close to it. Churches are collapsing up under this folly and foolishness as well. And I've already warned you guys that this thing is intrinsically self-contradictory and it's going to create more and more racism on the inside, more and more discrimination. That's the better word because racism is a myth. More and more, if you will, tribalism. Every categorized group is going to rise up against every other categorized group because they're going to want their day in court as well. They're going to want their voice to be heard as well. And it's not possible to operate in any kind of real equity and equality in this totalitarian Marxist system that's being imposed upon us because it's a myth. It's an absolute myth. So I'm glad about it. I'm glad we're still free. I'm glad we can still talk about it. I'm glad we can still expose the lie. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident that people are going to wake up and start returning again to a much more sound, grounded understanding of reality, if you will, and walk in the truth uh, that sets you free, which is in Jesus Christ, and uh, and grow as a nation in the context of our freedom and our rights and, uh, and work on our problems uh, incrementally as we have been doing for decades and not buy into the whole notion that everything has to come down. That's absolutely insane.
I'm going to take a break. I've got uh, two lines open. No, one line open. one 367 one Yeah, we can talk about this, anything else, but uh, this is right in front of your door. It's on your doorstep. It's in your email. It's on your Facebook. It's on your Instagram, all the other social media. Uh, um, um, you will, um, what, what do you call it, uh, different social means of gathering that you guys all use. You're hearing this stuff everywhere you go. It's on your job. It's ubiquitous. And how will you fare with it? Will you succumb to the mark of the beast or will you rise up in the name of the Lord Jesus with the Father's name written on your forehead and stand with Christ on Mount Zion? You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline, your host, Jesse Giston. I'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline. The time is 528 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I guess, I guess Haley Berry uh, got into some trouble recently because she was taking a part in an upcoming movie and she was going to play a trans woman, if you will, a man that wants to appear to be a woman. And do you know the trans community jumped all over her for for um, her her uh, wanting to take that role. I thought that was just absolutely wild. I mean, what kind of sense does that make for, for them to, to do something like that? All she's doing is what they're doing, which is acting. And I just, that just is, is amazing to me. In any event, what she recognizes as well is, unless you get approval from the Gestapo, you are not free to even mimic them and, uh, you guys, that's a real problem. I can tell you that now. That's a problem when you are uh, acting and you are simply seeking to convey whatever the directors and the uh, script writers are wanting you to convey in order to kind of represent something. And if you uh, basically what they're saying is, is that uh, because Halle Berry cannot know what a trans life is, which is just such a again, that's what we call uh, logic on, on top of its head. Here, a man is wanting to be a woman. And uh, and 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 for all intents and purposes are demanding to be viewed as a woman. And a woman wants to now uh, play the part of a trans and they're upset. You would think that they would be honored because such a move would at least give them some symbolic uh, representation of a real female since uh, Haley Berry is a real female. But no, see, I told you this intersectional uh, identity politics agenda is intrinsically self-contradictory. It bumps up against what the fundamental problem is with this altogether, and that is power. See, people were, are going to actually want to be individuals at a certain point, and uh, you, you, you can't satisfy a person by merely identifying them with a group and just locking them in, oh, you're a trans, and this is how you guys act. You're queer, and this is how you guys act. You're a white woman, and this is how you guys act. You are gay, and this is how you guys act. And the the whole hypothesis, which is ridiculous, is that no one can really know what any other person is really thinking or feeling. And that's such BS, if you will, when it comes to human nature. 
That's just absolutely ridiculous. And what it does is it creates, again, a kind of balkanization and division that's intolerable for a society. This hyper-racial movement is creating tribalism and it's metastasizing right before our eyes. Anyhow, let me go to line number one and talk with Travis from Berkeley. Travis, are you there? Yeah, Pastor Jesse. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, so I have a couple of questions. Uh, sure. My first question is, is there actually an issue with our You faded out on me. Uh, so my- uh, we're breaking up. Where you at, bro? You're, you're breaking up on me, Travis. Hear me now? No, nah, no, nah, you're breaking up. Are you on the, are you on the road? No, no, I'm I'm on the cell phone. I'm not on the okay, road. Okay, there you go. There you go. You right there is a good spot. Don't move. <laughs> All right, what were okay, you saying? So, yeah, again, again, for me to repeat my question. My, I have a couple of questions. My first question is: Is there actually a real issue with African Americans and the police? And then my other question would be: If if that be the case, if it is a real ash, issue, does God have us as believers do anything in this issue? And then my third question would be, what are some tangible things that believers can do? Absolutely. Very great questions. We actually talked about this two or three weeks ago, quite frankly, Travis. Uh, there are very smart people already addressing these kinds of things, not from the outside where I might be or you might be, but from the inside, they're addressing these things. I was listening to an extremely uh, bright former uh, um, police officer who is African-American, who's making it his duty to go around and explain to as many African-American brothers and sisters that he can what the real facts are, because the this very movement really act, activated him, agitated him to no end. He, he actually... Um, in fact, there's a YouTube uh, uh, a video of him explaining on, on, on one, one guy's talk show uh, about how impossible it is for police officers, whether white or black, to actually hold and have a sustained systemic racist posture when it comes to dealing with the citizens because they get up every day actually having to enter into harm's way when it comes to the citizens. And he explained, he gave a great argument about the impossibility of someone putting on a uniform, being ready to take a hit for you and for me when a phone call occurs uh, and, and realizing that there's a good likelihood that their life will be in danger. A person that would hold a kind of, a system that would hold a kind of total across the board, and this is the way that uh, the, the Black Lives Matter and everybody else in the social justice movement is putting it, as if there are no really good police officers out there doing their jobs when citizens factually know that this is not the case, that there are very good officers that are doing very good jobs when it comes to caring for their fellow citizens in the role of law enforcement. And, and so here's what I would say. I, you know, you've heard me already explain the Kafka trap that this movement tries to trap you in, and it can do it with what we call an either-or question as well. You're damned if you do it, and you're damned if you don't. I don't buy the overall 
overgeneralized notion of uh, systemic racism in anything in America whatsoever. You got to got to bring in the evidence. I do believe that there's racism there. There has been. We're sinners. That's the case. I certainly know that there are problems in the police department. But again, that's the same thing. We're sinners. That's the case. Every police department has to be judged on its own merits. Every police officer has to be judged on his own merit. And every citizen has to be judged on their own merit, i.e. white people have to be judged on their own merits as well as African-Americans. We must not fall prey to this racist agenda that if you're part of the system, you're racist. If you're black, you're good. If you're white, you're bad. Secondly, um, on a personal level, what I would say that if a person wanted to get involved is start talking to police officers 101. Don't start with the system of social justice and go at them with the with the uh, unjust laws and unmerciful laws of of a non-forgiveness motive. Talk to the police officers yourself. In fact, it would be great if uh, if there were a group of people who had the character and integrity of just going around talking to police officers and getting their opinions. Uh, what's going on right now, Travis, is a religion. It's a cultic religion of uh, self-righteousness rooted in uh, the hypocrisy of being able to judge people for things that are intrinsically in all of us. And it has no basis of forgiveness, atonement or real reconciliation. It's all about power and uh, and it's all about reparations. It won't work. And so I would say if an individual wanted to learn for themselves and not be locked into to uh, polity, uh, identity politics and lose your own sense of individuality, talk to them for yourself. I mean, talk to 10 police officers and see what they say. Talk to 20. Get a group of brothers who will, you know, who can actually frame legitimate questions that are not indicting, that are not uh, not questions that condemn, impose upon the officer's uh, assumptions that will make the officer push back on you. Believers can't do that anyway. Um, but talk to officers. And then thirdly, here's what I would say, as you already know, my brother, uh, get informed. Uh, listen to both sides of the aisle. Listen to the um, arguments of the left regarding this. Even the social justice people who have their arguments, listen to them. Then listen to the other side who push back and demand information and data and stats and who have a much more objective uh, method of interpreting propositions. And then and then see if all the facts that come into you, you know, merit the complaint that's going on in the social justice movement. If we were all to do some of these kinds of things, we'd have a much different picture of what's going on in our culture than is taking place in our society today. As believers, we are first and foremost to pray for our authorities, pray for our government, pray for our police officers. Secondly, we are to engage them with respect, engage them with honor, engage them with giving them the benefit of the doubt of being innocent before being proven guilty being innocent before being proven guilty. Don't make them guilty uh, so that they have to prove themselves innocent because in this model, they are not viewed as innocent, neither the whole system of America. And that's an absolute atrocity. So, you you know, we've got to operate out of the biblical principle that lays it out very carefully. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Try every spirit 
whether it be of God or not, and make sure you and I are operating out of the spirit of truth and not the spirit of error. And uh, and we will do this matter some real good. Listen, man, thanks for the call. And, and by the way, I enjoyed uh, the seven seals drop you gave me, man. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Yeah, real right. cool. Real cool. Uh, let me go to line two before I get off, uh, take a break. Let me go to line two and talk with Jermaine from Alameda. Jermaine, are you there? Well, yes, I am. Hey, what's going on? Well, uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about uh, concerning voting. I know this is like a real important time in our country where people are kind of polarized, but just taking a look at all the series of events that have been going on, I've, I've been talking to a lot of friends, and, and I've really been enjoying the series that you've been working through on yeah. uh, Fridays. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a true blessing. But I learned that I can't just give that to someone all at once. I'll try and slowly break it down. And I, I've met a lot of my friends, uh, some of them who are now believers, who they feel just, uh, they feel kind of like they're put in a box and they don't yep. necessarily know how to go. And so many of them, uh, and many of them are white, and they feel yep. like they can't voice their opinions unless it's to someone like me who's known them for years without being labeled certain things as far as the true nature of uh, crime and statistics. But yep, yep. some of them don't don't like Trump to the point where they won't vote for him. However, they don't like Biden either. And I've met several Christians who would try to hyper-spiritualize voting. I yep. just wanted to kind of get your take on, on voting as a believer if you truly feel convicted not to go either way because i've seen some people literally try and almost from the pulpit say it was a, a sin unto god and of course they never use any scripture but i just wanted to get your take on that absolutely perfect uh perfect question coming up on the voting in about 100 days a little bit more uh you know i've been doing this for 25 years as you know and a lot of people that have been listening to me for years know that i have a in uh, what i call an in varied principle when it comes to voting i never vote party I'm not part of the plantation. I don't plan on being. It, the plantation never works. Everything is going left. Even the Republicans are going left at the end of the day. We will see that. Uh, They're they collapsing under some of this pressure as well. Um, the way that a believer must vote, and, and I used to say it this simply, Jermaine, and that is vote your conscience. Vote your conscience. But I'm really concerned about the lack of sound biblical truth at the foundation of the conscience of the average professing believer today. So to say vote your conscience is not saying a whole lot, as Mr. John MacArthur put it back in a series he did on the vanishing conscience. If your conscience is not healthy, if your conscience is not informed, if your conscience is not anchored to the word of God, you can't really discern what's good and acceptable and right before God. And therefore, you're not going to be inclined to be able to vote biblically. For me, voting biblically, biblically is the highest order when it comes to uh, voting. So when you're trapped in the dialectic of two parties, when it comes to the president in other areas, you know, there can be four or five or six or 10 different candidates. When we're voting on local issues or, uh, you know, voting on state issues, you have a broader uh, spectrum of choices. But when it comes to the two candidates, and this is how this system has worked for decades to the demise of the American people, you have either to vote for one or the other, 
or to vote for an individual outside of the plantation camp of the blue and the red and look for, as I would do, libertarian candidates or constitutionalist candidates or independent candidates if I wanted to file my vote. However, you do not have to vote if you do not feel that the candidates or the policies represent your convictions of what the Bible says should be policies with which you identify. There is no biblical mandate for the believer to vote. That would turn politics into the religion that it has been in America and among Christians for decades, which has destroyed the integrity of Christians because they feel like they have to vote for one man or the other, and they have often been put in the quagmire of having to hold their nose while they vote for a candidate that they know does not subscribe to biblical principles. Definitely on the side of the left, it's absolutely atrocious. And it's been bad on the side of the right on many levels, but they still hold their noses and go vote. They can do it if they want to. They got to face Jesus and uh, answer for that kind of irrational cognitive dissonance, in my opinion. For me, I vote my conscience, and I'm happy. Uh, I have lots of times not voted because I didn't care for any of the candidates, and I'm free to do that because my primary calling, and yours is too, is to pray for our leaders no matter who they are. And this is the other point I want to make, and you can share this with your friends who are starting to wake up to the pathetic folly of what's going on in our country and don't want to be tied to it anymore. Um, it's really important for you to remember that you are free. You are free. You are never to be compelled by the consensus to vote. You are free. Secondly, and even more importantly, Christ is the ruler over all rulers. He is the king over all kings. His will will be done. It does not matter who's in that office. And that's where true biblically grounded believers have their conviction. And this allows us to be free from, you know, master's plantation politics of my master is better than your master. It's a bunch of foolishness for Christians that we get wrapped up into every four years. And it's sad and pathetic. So, you know, you can give that to your friends because I know they're struggling. I'm going to talk about that after the break. A lot of my Caucasian brothers are having a difficult time speaking up in this particular climate in which we are operating because a, a, uh, an imposed guilt of racism has been employed to shake their confidence as an independent agent of God to speak freely about what they really feel. Thanks for the call. Got to take a hard break. When I come back, I'll pick it up with you, Dan. Two lines open. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. I've got uh, two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven. Five, three, two, nine. If you want to chat with me on this topic or anything else, be glad to hear from you. In the meanwhile, we'll go to line number three and talk with Dan in Sonoma. Dan, are you there? Dan on line I, number three. Hey, what's going on? I man? have about I have about uh, three or four many issues to discuss and question you about. The first thing I'd like to say is I listened to about three and a half of your. Friday night Bible studies plus your Way of Grace program, 
and thank you for being so detailed and thorough. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to do it. This will go down in our history books at Grace as um, a church that takes these matters head on and try to render a solid biblical Christ-centered approach to what's going on. And you and I can finish out the hour, so that's cool if you got a couple, two or three questions or topics you want to address. Well, the first one that I'd like to mention to you is I, I texted you an article that I read about some guy crashing his car into a Catholic church in Florida, uh-huh. and it seemed would be apparent, and I think it's going to become apparent to some anyone who's skeptical about it, that there's some kind of demonic worldly attack against uh, churches and against Christianity. Well, that's going to escalate. It's not happening as much now, but that part is going to escalate over time. You know, you will have hurt me developing the um, the hysteria that's going on. The, uh, the demonic uh, attack has been going on for decades in our colleges that have produced this social justice movement in terms of its impact uh, in, in, in colleges and in businesses. Uh, the way that I like to put it, Dan, is that they have incubated this movement in the framework of critical race theory, critical gender theory, and uh, and and uh, and critical theory and period uh, period, so as to take over all the educational system. They train these young people to go out and, and act a fool like they're doing, and uh, and and they're starting to do it publicly with these movements. Uh, and and what's happening is it's causing hysteria across the board. This is not healthy emotionally. This is not healthy spiritually. This is not healthy socially. This is really a bad uh, a bad movement. And, and again, because it has its roots in historic Marxism, uh, we can look at the writing on the wall in terms of Stalin. Uh, we can look at the writing on the wall in terms of Mao. Uh, we can look at the writing on the wall more particularly concerning uh, uh, Hitler, Hitler's time and, and how he was able to work the people up. This one is a little bit more subtle because it is a kind of Gramscian socialist methodology, but it will come to the forefront if people don't quell it right now by standing up and challenging the arguments and assumptions of the movement, the ones who know how to challenge it and deal with it will do a great job if this can come out to the forefront and be dealt with on a civil platform level. What's your next question or observation? The next two I think we should handle together, and that's the authors of uh, Mark Maurer and Michelle Alexander. I'm reading this book called The New Jim Crow, right? and there's two points in there that really has got my goat. And One of them is to assume that because I'm 57 and I didn't know what she was presenting in her book, that I'm for it, is this wild. Like, why would I want to see a bunch of 18, 28-year-old kids in jail just because she says it's the case? And Thomas Sowell pointed out that a misuse of the word systematic versus uh, systemic, systemic as a higher bar. Systemic ought to mean that it's functionally, genetically ingrained, and there's nothing much you can do about it. And um, so, when they say systemic, it, they're claiming something that's an extremely um, audacious claim to say systemic means you're. I don't know if they looked it up. They probably did look it up in the dictionary, but oh, they know means, what they're doing. They know what they're, they know what's going on. 
you're making the claim, if you use the word systemic, that there isn't really anything we can do about it. We're going to do something about it, but it's not going to be effective. Uh, and so they should actually change the word to systematic and then say we can succeed. Because if right. they're making the claim that the, that the problem is systemic, then they are guaranteed to not succeed. I just don't see that. I don't know what, what you have to say about that. But. All right, well, just a couple of things, right. So one of the things we've been talking about is how this system is not based upon coherent logic at all. It has no real coherent principles of argumentation. It's built upon a postmodern framework that you we have talked about explicitly being developed largely out of thin air. Uh, on a Marxist um, oppressed oppressor framework. And all you have to do is kind of label who the oppressor is and label who the oppressed is. And whammo, you have what we call the talking points. We've talked about that at length. This is called the power of language. And you repeat the same things over and over and over and over and over again. And if you don't get any pushback, people start buying into it. It's called propaganda. And that's been going on for a long time. And you're right, when they use the term systemic racism, they also recognize that there's nothing that can be done with that other than for it to be taken up by the roots. And that's why this there is this overreach in wanting to destroy, extinguish, and wash away all the history of anything European and white and male and patriarchal and cis as far back as you can possibly go. Now, that agenda won't work. But for them, under the delusion of a utopian model of um, of equity, under that delusion, they have to be consi consistent with their agenda. It's like a religion. They are evangelists. They are out uh, doing their job to convert the world to Marxism because they do not believe, like Marx did not believe, that socialism could work. They are so disenchanted with what's going on today that they can't find anything good in it. And that's going to work against them, Dan, because you can find the legitimate uh, development and progress and benefits of every ethnic group in America laid out statistically and factually. And watch this. African Americans have fared better than any of the other groups in the overall aggregate over several decades. We are far from oppressed when it comes to the statistics. But when you don't want to think clearly and logically, when you don't want to be objective, when you don't want to examine the facts, then you're going to succumb to what we have already talked about is the Kafka trap, the Kafka trap. And that is you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. This model of uh, social justice makes people guilty before even proven innocent, and that's a turning of the principle of uh, uh, judiciary upside down on its head. In our government, we never say a person is guilty until he is proven guilty in a court of law. But this system somewhere in their own courtroom have become judge and jury and prosecutor too. This is why we know it's a religion, it's cultic in nature, and it has to be challenged because its fundamental premise is assuming all white people guilty, the whole structure is guilty systemically, and it must come down for them. It cannot work any other way, and therefore people have to challenge it. And people will rise up and challenge it because when you when you just use the term systemic racism 
in such careless and 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 uh, repetitive fashion, you simply make people dislike anything you're saying about it, and quite frankly, dislike you. So they really are looking for a civil war, if you will. It's sad, but that's the case. My my desire is to see people do what I'm doing and others are doing, just simply challenge people uh, when they say, hey, this country has systemic racism. The first thing I say is, what's the evidence? Where's your evidence? And if they don't have any, then I can say, well, you know what? You and I can't talk until you start setting forth evidence because an assertion is not a fact. And this well, is what I we have to start you, doing. What's that? If I could ask you... Uh, in, in the book Race to Incar- Incarcerate by uh, Mark Maurer, have you looked at the statistics spread there and uh, can they be borne out? Or the statistics in the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander? Well, see, this is what you're going to have to do because I've, I've listened to these arguments for years on NPR and uh, uh, several other, uh, several other uh, leftist programs. You're going to have to have reputable representatives of of both sides, because people can write books, they can cook stats. We all know that. I'm just talking to my son <laughs> with one of his teachers who is a statistician as well. You can cook the books. You can you can develop statistics that will always be skewed in your position, but you do really need professionals, experts that can read the framework and the method of your uh, statistical um, uh, formulations to see if they are ethical or if they're valid or if they are uh, irrefutable. We can do that if we want to take the time to do it. But in America, you know, people simply buy details, uh, buy assertions, hook, line and sinker until they come to discover that it doesn't work. And with this particular issue in front of us, Dan, I don't think people are going to uh, have the discipline of doing what the Bible says. Um, Search the matter out to see whether the thing is true or not. I think they're going to go on fillings, and as a person going on fillings, they're just going to slide to one side or the other. My confidence is as the freedoms become less and less via the judiciary making choices that lean towards the social justice movement, and people begin to see a world that they don't like and a non-utopian outcome of a nightmare, then they'll start pushing back on it. But until then, people who are not interested in these matters are going to kind of either stick their head in the sand and hope it goes away or move. And maybe a few will stand up and speak. um, And we'll see how that goes. Look, man, I got to take a hard break. You probably had another question, but we can take that up a little later.